can speak into your life directly. I mean, is that something that you encounter? Uh, something that happens in your experience, in your life? Or is that something that happens with other people that you hear about? Or maybe you don't believe it happens at all. I don't know. But I want to speak this morning about the reality that the Bible tells us that, yes, he does speak into our lives. And I'm not meaning in a sort of a general, generic way, but in a very specific, clear, definite way where we have an encounter with God in such a fashion that we know God has spoken to me just now. Just now, right here in this moment, I've heard the voice of God. You know, I thought of it like this uh, this, this uh, week. I've, I've got my cell phone here, and uh, occasionally people call me. Well, actually, all the time people call me. You guys call me all the time, right? Uh, <laughs> and others, of course. And when I hear the phone ring, I have a few options, don't I? Someone wants to speak into my mind through my phone, and I can do a bunch of things. One is that I can, you know, push, slide the little, little button, if you would, and I'll start talking, and I'll hear them speak to me, and I'll speak back. That's cool, most of the time. Uh, I also have the, the option of pushing this little button on the side, and it goes straight to voicemail. Uh, I have the option of just letting it ring. And I actually have the option of, you know, pushing this little switch on the side and turning off the ringer so I don't hear anybody calling me anytime. That's my day off, by the way. Yeah. Not really. And I think it's kind of the same with God. We can take the call and actually hear him speak in that still small voice. It's not an audible voice in the large majority of times. It's quiet. It's the Lord giving us thoughts in our minds and we discern them not to be our own but of God. It's a powerful thing when it happens. Uh, but it's also possible um, to push the little button and send them to voicemail. Oh, I'll deal with that later. Uh, it's possible to just let it ring and never answer. It's possible to turn off the ringer so I never know that he's calling. You see it? And I guess my question today is, what do you really believe and what do you actually experience as a follower of Jesus? Do you hear the voice of God in your life? Is this part of your experience with him? Well, we're going to go back to the story, of course, chapter 15. For those of you who are new, it's, it's a book that's the Bible in chronological order, part of it. I mean, kind of the story in chronological order versus the thematic structure of the Bible otherwise. And it's making sense to a lot of our people, and, and it's really helping them understand what the Bible's trying to say. Today, we're going to look at the ministry of the prophets of God in the northern kingdom. So if you've been following with us, we're in the era of the kings, and First and Second Kings kind of describes that dynamic in the Bible, those two books. And there being the, the, the initial kings, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then we went into this whole stream of kings otherwise. There's the division between the northern and southern kingdom. In the north, Israel is called Israel. In the south, it's called Judah, oh, you guys are good. That's awesome. You're listening to me. And we're going to look at the prophets that God raised up in the northern kingdom, Israel. For 208 years, that kingdom existed. There were 19 kings over those 208 years. And it's about, we're talking about the realm of two, uh, 1050 uh, BC to about 900 BC, kind of in there, 850, 825. Right at the front of your story books, there's a whole chronology of the history, like year by year, when, and you can locate all of these incidents, of course, in that chronology, that timeline. But God raised up nine prophets during those years. 
to speak for him into the minds of the kings of Israel, to speak for him into the lives of the people of God in that day. Um, in very definite and distinct and clear ways. But here's the reality. For 208 years, the people of God did not listen. That whole time, God spoke, but nobody listened to him. He spoke through the prophets. He, he spoke in a way that would bless them and challenge them and be good for them and lead them forward, but nobody answered the call. Um, they just didn't bother. Here's the thing. In the upper story, as we describe it, the story that God is telling from, from the beginning of the story in Eden, Garden of Eden, all the way to the end of Revelation, the story that God is forming and enacting, according to his will, <clears throat> God speaks that's just a given. He talks. The question is on the, in the lower story is whether we as human beings will listen to him and hear what he has to say. In, in this lower story that we're looking at for the people of Israel, God's people, both before the, the kingdom divided and afterwards, I suppose, the question is, in each instance, will, will these people actually take the time to hear and understand and, and know what God is saying to them and respond? Some of them will, and some of them won't. Well, for 208 years, in this instance, the people just don't bother. You know, I'm going to ask you this morning, right? Are you listening? And are you hearing the voice of God? Well, what I'm going to do in this... Uh, sermon today is we're going to look at three prophets and three incredible stories from this 208-year sequence. And there are so many great stories in here and so many great prophets, um, both in the north and in the south. But we're just going to look at three of them. And the first one is the story, uh, one story that comes from the prophet Elijah. You know the story of Elijah, many of you will, but let, let me just tell you about one of these stories. This was a powerful servant of God. I don't want you ever to think of God's spokespersons, uh, certainly these prophets as being weak and wimpy sort of preacher types, you know? This, these are powerful men with incredible courage and incredible conviction, and Elijah was one of these people. And he served in, in, in the time when King Ahab ruled, and he was married to Queen Jezebel. When I say those two names, what... what What's conjured up in you? Ahab and Jezebel. It's like evil, right? It's the personification of evil. Because Jezebel was one of those foreign wives of a king, and she brought the worship of Baal idolatry into the land in a powerful way. Um, literally, in this instance, the, the prophets of God are being killed. The followers of, the, of Yahweh, the true and living God, are being slaughtered. And what Elijah does is he challenges the prophets of Baal, uh, the foreign idol, uh, to a bit of a showdown. And um, there were 450 of them in this instance. 450. And there are others as well. It almost amounts to 1,000 people against one. How would you like to have been Elijah that day? And essentially what he says is, here's what we're going to do, guys. Um, we're both going to build an, uh, an altar. Each of us will and we're going to sacrifice, and then we're going to call our God or gods to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And, and we're going to find out who is the real, true God. 
So the prophets of Baal thought this, this was a fair um, opportunity to, to prove themselves and to prove their God. And, and so they go to this uh, showdown, 450, and the prophets of Baal go first. They build their altar, they sacrifice the animal, and they call on their God to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, and nothing happens. And then they start to dance and cry out to their God, and nothing happens. And then they start to cut themselves with knives, and nothing happens. And in the end, it's pretty obvious that Baal is not a true God. Well, it comes to Elijah's turn, and, and um, not only does he build the altar and make the sacrifice, he douses this sacrifice and this altar with incredible amounts of water, you know, making it almost impossible that this thing that is anticipated might happen. But when he does this, then he calls upon God to send fire from heaven, and Yahweh, the one living and true God, sends fire and consumes not the, only the sacrifice but the altar and leaves it in ashes. It's an incredible victory where the people even there see that Yahweh is the true God, that he is the real and living God, and that he is the powerful God. Well, after this experience, um, uh, Elijah's life is threatened, and, um, and he flees. He literally runs away, afraid for his life. And we find him in the end in a cave, and he's clearly depressed. He's negative, and, 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 and he's bemoaning the reality of, of his life before God. You can read more of the story if you wish uh, in, in the story or in 1 Kings 19. Um, but here, this man hears from God. And I would suggest to you it's, it's instruction for us about how we might hear from God too. So I'm going to read to you page 207 in the story, if you have it with you today, and it's uh, 1 Kings 19.9 um, in, in your Bibles. So, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then a great, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the, uh, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, he says, and now they're trying to kill me too. There's the negativity in part. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Um, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I'm going to keep going for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu king, son of uh, Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, from Abel-Mohalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You know, this is a remarkable story, 
And let me point out first and foremost that that man heard from God not in an earthquake and not in a fire and not in a mighty wind. He heard from God in what the Bible describes as a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. In the quietness, it was in that place and in that moment that God spoke into his mind and he knew what the Lord was saying and he began a dialogue with God. And I want to tell you, if we are going to hear the reality of the Spirit of God speaking into our lives in very real and dynamic ways, it's got to be in a quiet place. Now, one of the realities of our life and, and faith is it's really hard to hear from God in a loud world. Um, I want you to think about Jesus just for a minute, a little diversion to the Lord himself, where it says in the Bible, he often got up early in the morning and went to that quiet place to pray to his Father who's in heaven. Silence, solitude, being on his own before his Father where that he might hear his voice, know God's will for his life. No different from Elijah's experience. That place of quietness, that the, that the gentle whisper, the quiet whisper came, and he heard the voice of God. But the reality is that a lot of people don't like both silence and or solitude. How many people go home, especially when they're living alone, and they don't like silence, so they'll turn on the television or they'll put on some music so that they don't have to deal with silence, which kind of reminds them that they're alone. A lot of people. But my friends, if we are to hear the voice of God, we have got to learn to enter into that silent place so that we can hear and so that we can learn to discern when God gives us a thought that is not our own. So that we might know what he's saying to us. I want to ask you a question. If you were to go home today and if you were to do as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, go into your room and close the door. Be on your own. Be quiet with God. Pray to your Father who is in heaven, Jesus said. What would God say to you? What do you think he might say to you? We don't know what he would say, of course, but what might he say to you? Um, it might be something what, like Elijah's experience. First of all, God told him the truth versus the lie that Elijah believed. He said, I'm alone. He wasn't alone. There were 7,000 people who had not bent the knee to Baal. And the lie which was causing him depression or which might cause us anxiety, or which might cause us fear, or which might cause us guilt, we give the Lord, by His Spirit, the opportunity to speak truth into our lives so that we are healed. So God might speak truth to you, as He did to Elijah. <clears throat> he might, like Elijah, give you direction for your life. Very literally, God says, okay, now go and do this. This is what I want you to do. Anoint these people, etc., etc., he might give you direction that you will never know, you will never hear, you will never understand <clears throat> unless you get into that place of silence. God might come, and as, as he did for Elijah, and give, give you purpose that you might never have known existed for your life from him. You see, it's in the quiet place. It is in that experience of hearing the voice of God, the Spirit of God impress us, and it's always so deeply tied with scripture, but he speaks and it is profound and it is real and it is a blessing to us. You know, God might say to you, um, I love you. And he might convince you of his love more than you have ever been convinced in your life. I've experienced that profoundly. And I'm left in awe. 
He might say to you, you know, you're going way too fast. You've got to slow down. I love you too much to be overextending. You, I want you to slow down and rest a little bit. He might also say to you, you know, you're sitting around too much. You've got to get going. <laughs> i got a job for you to do. It's time to run. He might say to you, you know, you need to apologize to that person that you're on the other day. Because what you said hurt him or her. And you need to reconcile. And God might say, you know, that guy who hurt you, you need to, you need to forgive because that is my way. God might say, hey, I know you're struggling with a business decision and here's what I want you to do. And clarity comes and you know what the decision should be. You know, I could go on and on and on, and I don't know what God would say to you. What I do know is if you go quiet with him and you learn how to discern his voice, he will speak to you. God is speaking. Are we listening? And my friends, what we have to do is to put ourselves in a position where we can hear the Lord speak. Second prophet is named Elisha. Pretty similar. He was actually the protege of Elijah. Uh, Elijah trained him to be a prophet and to carry on after him. This is a time when the Armenians were the enemy of Israel, and Elisha hears from God, and Elisha goes to the king and tells the king what the Armenians are doing. So the king has all kinds of great victories, right? Well, the, the king of the Armenians, King uh, Aram, gets wind of what Elisha is doing, and he decides to eliminate him. He says, this is ridiculous. I don't want this anymore. So he finds out where Elisha was in a given instance, and he sends his army, and he surrounds this city. And I'm going to read to you from 2.12 2 uh, in the story about what happens. It says this, um, first, 2 Kings chapter 6. Go find out where he is, Elisha, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. And here's the great man of God with an incredible faith. Don't be afraid. The prophet answers, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And what ensues is an incredible victory for Elisha and the forces of the city of Dotham because God had sent his angels to fight on their behalf. You know what this tells us? We've got to get ourselves into that place where we can hear the voice of God so that when those times of real difficulty and challenge and heartache come into our lives, that the Lord himself can open our eyes to see and understand the spiritual realm which we cannot see and understand otherwise. You see, in this instance, what happens is that, that when, when, when this prophet of God was so in touch with the Lord, having seen what the Lord had enabled him to see, he was able to speak the word of God into the mind of that servant. What would that servant have experienced in that moment? Ah, oh, <laughs> there's another army that I didn't see before, but now I see it. And there's a God who is going to fight for us. 
He is with us. And he will give us victory. See, well, what happens when we get silent and alone with God is that God speaks and he says, he speaks into our lives, I am present with you and I am powerful and I will protect you. And we can know that peace and we can have that courage and confidence because God has shown us the reality of what we couldn't see before in our own humanity. But I want to tell you, we'll never get to that place if we don't get quiet in the presence of God and hear God speak and allow God to show us, to tell us what is. I don't know what um, the crisis, it doesn't matter what the crisis is. You may be in crisis right now, and I hope God is speaking to you through me and through the teaching here. I really do. But sometimes it's, it's a crisis of, of health, of course. Those times come and, and, and fear settles in and we go, oh my goodness, oh no. And we somehow think we're alone and, and that we don't have hope until we settle into the presence of God and he reminds us, I am with you and I am powerful and I will protect you. Sometimes it's mental health. Sometimes it's a family crisis of some sort and my goodness, don't, have families have, don't families have crises? Marriage crises, teenager crises, etc., etc. And we don't know which way to turn and we feel that fear settle into our lives and God comes along in that quiet place and he says, I am with you and I am powerful and I will protect you. Sometimes it's a financial crisis. I don't care what it is. You, if you are in Christ, you are not alone and God is with you and he is powerful and he is ready to act on your behalf. But you might not know it until you get into his presence and get quiet so that he can tell you that. My friends, God will open our eyes to see the spiritual reality, to see the real reality when we are with him. And what we need to do is to find a time where we can quiet ourselves and find a place where we can quiet ourselves before God. And I'm here to ask you as your pastor today, do you do this? It's incredible how many followers of Jesus um, have, have the Lord calling, but instead of answering the call and having a good chat, they switch this off and say, ah, I'm too busy, I got other things on my mind. Do you do this? For me, it's best in the morning. It doesn't have to be then. Uh, I've told you before, and I think it's a phenomenal thing, that I know some folks at IPC in the last little while who have chosen, well, it's not so recent anymore, but they get up one hour earlier every single day that they might be in that quiet place with God so that he might speak into their heart, so that he might assure them that he is with them, that he might speak whatever he wishes to speak into their lives. And they do it day after day. You know why? Because they have found this treasure that is precious to them, this experience of the living God speaking into their minds and into their lives. And they love it. Will you do that? third prophet is an interesting character. It's the prophet Hosea. He serves at the end of this 208-year span of the existence of the kingdom of Israel in the north. He, si he serves under King Jeroboam II. Remember the first? He was the first king of Israel, um, whom we've spoken of recently. And Israel, in this instance, is, is experiencing incredible prosperity. Things are going r remarkably well, but no one is listening to God. 
And um, the reality is we can learn from this right off the top. This is incredibly typical because the time we are least likely to listen to God is when everything's going really well. Oh, when we're in crisis, oh God, I need you. Oh God, I pray that you'll deliver me. Oh God. Man, when things are going famously, we're too busy for God. And we think somehow we don't have to listen anymore. And that somehow we actually think we don't need to listen to him anymore. I want to take you back to Deuteronomy 8. This is, this is Moses, the great prophet, speaking to the Israelite people before they go in to the land. So we're talking generations and generations prior to uh, Hosea and his experience. But let me read this to you, Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. It's not in the story. It's in the Bible, though. Moses is saying, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will, not, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end you might, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Um... Who here lives in prosperity? I'm waiting. I'm going to do it again. Who here lives in prosperity? Everybody, come on. Everybody's hands should be up. We are a wealthy nation, and God has blessed us remarkably. I've been in Nicaragua, as, as have many of you, uh, numerous times, and I know that the poorest here are often wealthier than the people of Nicaragua. At least there's a social safety net here. We are a wealthy, blessed nation. God has blessed our land. And it is in that place, I'm telling you right now, it is in the place in which we live that we can most easily forget about God. And we don't bother to listen to him because we've got everything we need. Who needs God? Well, I'm here to tell you, you need God. Desperately, as do I. As does every Canadian who lives in this land. I'm here to tell you that God has blessed you and that what you have is from him and not from the strength of my arm and pride. Do we say this? It's because God has been faithful to us, but I'm telling you here at the same time we live in a land that stopped listening to the Lord. And it cannot be we who are not listening to God. Point number one. Let me tell you the story of, of Hosea. Second point is going to emerge here from his life. He, he's the man who speaks for God, and God tells him, and it's written in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's much later on uh, than the, the book of Kings, of course, but he writes out his story for you. God 
tells him to do an absolutely ridiculous thing. God ever told you to do anything ridiculous? And have you actually done it? Well, here's the ridiculous thing God tells him to do. He says, I want you to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. I, I, it's ridiculous because he needs to marry a prostitute, and this is God's will. It's also ridiculous that she's named Gomer. <laughs> like, who calls her kid Gomer? <laughs> anyway, what he does is he goes and, and, and he finds her and, and, and he marries her, um, does, does exactly what the Lord has told him to do. And they have some children together, but after, after that, what she does is return to prostitution. Um... And then God says to Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to find her and I want, her to, I want you to welcome her back into your marriage and I want her, you to love her in spite of what she has done to you. Hosea goes and he pays the fee to see the prostitute and he basically says this to her and I want you to listen to the words. They're not out of scripture. They're out of the story campaign, if you would. <laughs> what Hosea says to Gomer is, I want you back. I want to be in relationship with you. See, what we have here very literally is this marriage as a picture of God and Israel. Um, Israel has been incredibly unfaithful to the Lord. She has prostituted herself with foreign idols. And through the living God, the Lord says to them, I don't care what you have done. I don't care how far you have gone. I don't care how unfaithful you have been to me. I don't care the lengths that you have gone in, in your debauchery, if you would. I want to be in relationship with you because I love you. Anybody here hearing from God right now? You know, anybody here thinking, you know, I've, I've gone too far <laughs> for God to love me anymore. I, I've done too much for the Lord to ever want me back in a relationship with him. If that's the voice that you're hearing in your head, uh, that might be your own voice, and that might be the voice of Satan, our enemy, who seeks to deceive us and who lies to us regularly to destroy our relationship with God, but it is not the voice of God. Because the word of God comes to us and, and God speaks powerfully and I hope he's speaking to you by his spirit right now in conjunction with that word and that word says, listen, I love you and I will forgive you and I don't care what you have done. I don't care how unfaithful you have been to me. I want to be in relationship with you and I refuse to give up on you. My friends, I want to tell you God is still speaking through Scripture and by the power of His Spirit, and simply the question we must ask ourselves, are we still listening? Or have we put the Lord on hold? Or are we refusing to take His call? See, here's a tragic reality, and I mean that. My guess is, I don't know this to be true, I pray it's not true, but my guess is there are people in this room today who will never hear the voice of God. That's a real danger. Like literally, they'll never have this experience that I'm describing to you. They'll never get in a quiet place and they'll never hear that gentle whisper and they'll never know that God loves them and they'll never hear God's direction in their, in their lives and they'll never know his purpose for their lives, etc., etc., etc. It just won't happen because they won't take his call. Conversely, I know there are people in this room 
who live in this. <laughs> it is their faith. It is their experience of God. We met as elders on Wednesday night, as we often meet with regularity. And I began our time together, as I always do, with a little Bible study. And we talked about discerning the voice of God and how that happens and how we can learn and grow into it and experience it more and more in our lives. And... Uh, in the end, I just said, it was, it was not long. I just said, let's, let's just share together the times God has spoken to us. And one by one, those elders told us moving and, 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 and real and sincere stories of those moments when they have heard the whisper of God. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. I really did. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And then we jumped into discerning as we put together the plan that you're going to hear soon about our vision, the concrete ideas that will take us forward. Um... Which of these people are you? The one who never hears? The one who is hearing about this but have never encountered it? And one who may never? I hope that's not the case, but are you the one who live in relationship with this God who speaks so much that you hear, you learn to discern those thoughts that God's Spirit puts in our minds and you know they're not your own so that you can then respond to what God has said? so that you might live in open and honest dialogue with the living God. See, there's some people here today, in different groupings, if you would, there are people here today who have never invited Christ into their lives. They've never taken that step of faith into a relationship with the living God. Jesus Christ died on a cross and was raised to new life, and he ascended to heaven. He might be Lord of us, so that we might have relationship with him. And all we need to do is to come into his presence and say, Lord Jesus, I come here to open my life to you. Father, forgive my sin in the name of Christ because of what he did on the cross. And Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior from this moment forward. From this moment forward, I will live for you, live in relationship with you. This is now who I am. And in that moment, God, God's there. He's powerful. He's real. And he begins the transforming process. He begins to speak powerfully. It could be right now you're one of those folks who have never taken that step, but still the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and you're saying there's something here that I want. Can I just encourage you to, to do what I just described? Say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. I'm, I'm in. I'm yours. I'll follow you from here on. Others here today may have taken that step of faith. They have entered into that relationship with Christ. Um, maybe you've never heard from God, but you want to. You really want to. You want to hear the truth, and you want to hear the direction, and you want to hear the purpose, and you want to hear about the love, and you want to hear about, and on I could go. I want to tell you, God still speaks I wanted to say to you, bottom line, create that place in an ongoing and regular practice where you enter into that, that still, quiet place on your own where you start to engage God and you start to learn to discern His voice. You know what will happen? You will enter into a living, dynamic, ongoing relationship with God Almighty. Can you imagine that God, the of the God of the heavens, the God of the earth, the God who is almighty, who created not only the earth, but the universe which surrounds us, wants to talk to you? Like, it's craziness. But God has that capacity, capacity because he's God. 
And God has that desire because he loves you and he wants relationship with you. So I say to those of you who are, who are his, don't settle, and I'm going to say this, I'm not, I don't mean to demean anything someone has experienced at this point in terms of religious experience, but don't settle for a boring religious experience. Christianity is not about morality and forcing people to do what they don't want. It is not about religious ritual where people gather together like this into a familiar setting which just makes them feel good or whatever setting they might find themselves in. Christianity is about a living relationship with Christ where he speaks and we understand his voice and we respond to him. He guides us, he leads us, he blesses us, he protects us. We are in living, dynamic relationship with God. And I hope and I pray with all my heart that that's what you want with him. See, the question is, in the end of the day, when... The call comes, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the fact that God wants to speak to you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the reality that because of Christ, his work on the cross, you are raising him from the dead, that he is the living Lord of your people. And I thank you, Lord, that Christianity is not something that, that, that is dry and boring and ritualistic and moralistic, but Lord, it is something we are invited into, which is relationship. A relationship in which you speak to your people. You, commu you communicate with us because you, s you desire to commune with us. You speak into your, our lives by your spirit so that we might hear your voice and know your mind and know your truth and know your direction so, Lord, we can respond to what you have spoken with words of our own. Lord God, you invite us into that living, dynamic experience of yourself. God, I want to pray for people who have never stepped into faith, who may be hearing from you right now, and they know it to the core of their being. There's something going on, there's something that I want, and this is right and it is for me. I pray, Lord, that they will just simply come to you by faith and confess their sin and invite Christ into their lives so that this might just take off in their experience. Give them that wisdom, Lord. Lead them to it. God, I pray for those people who are already in that relationship with you that they won't settle for something less than what can be. That every single person here who knows and loves Jesus will get into that place of quietness every day this week. They'll just make it part of their lives. They priority a wonderful blessing, a treasure. And the Lord, as they locate themselves in that place of solitude and of silence, God, learn to hear you speak so that their experience of you will be real and profound and life-giving. Lord, thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how real it is. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and brings life to it through whom you speak into our lives. God, make us a church where we're filled with the knowledge of what you have spoken so that we might simply run after what you call us to, both in relationship to you and in service for you. 
God, move by your spirit in us, we pray. But that we might see and understand because we have heard from God. In this, our Lord, we pray.